The Astrea Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. Book Three, The Wanderer's Curse. Chapter Fourteen, in which Astrea encounters further treachery. Dabby sank onto both knees. Becky put her arms around him. Astrea squeezed Lindy's hand, although he had no memory of reaching up to her. She squeezed back and then let go, motioning him to where Cam was still bent over Red Ian. Before Astrea could move, Cam looked up and shook his head. Astrea closed his eyes, wishing he could turn back time and focus the power of the stones on Mufrid just an instant earlier, before Red Ian had been struck down and Arneb had attacked the man he had hunted for so long. Estrella turned towards the crew in the waist of the ship and saw faces wearing expressions that ranged from amazement to apprehension to fear. Above their heads, sails burst by the catastrophic jibe were flapping strips of torn canvas. "'You'd better do something, Estrella,' said Lindy quietly. He took a deep breath, knowing that to speak was also to take command. "'There will be no more killing,' said Estrella. Nobody moved or spoke. He looked around, meeting the eyes that were upon him. One thing was clear to him. The ship demanded attention, and he had to give the necessary orders. "'Silence is consent, Estrella,' murmured Lindy. "'Steersman, bring the ship back on course. Betel, lead all available hands in clearing the decks and making repairs. Pegine, Kaus, prepare the bodies for the words.' Two heartbeats of silence followed his last word, during which Estrella asked himself if his command had been merely a pale echo of Oron's imperious manner, or worse, of Adramin's arrogance. "'At your command!' came back to him from several voices, led by Betel. Estrella saw several men touch fist to throat. As the crew went to work, he tried not to show his relief that they were obeying him. Merak got to his feet, muttering. Merak got to his feet, muttering what Estrella took for agreement until he saw the sidelong glance of pure hatred he aimed at Lindy. Seeing that she was still unable to move one foot, Estrella moved swiftly between them. While he bent to free Lindy's ankle from a tangle of rope and sail, she bent over him and spoke quietly. Red Ian? she asked. I'm afraid he's dead he answered softly. "'Let's see.' She climbed out of the boat, and they crossed the deck to where Cam was still bent over Red Ian, who lay on his back, his head against the gunwale, only half of his face visible. Cam knelt in a spreading pool of blood, pressing a wad of fabric into the hollow at Red Ian's collarbone. "'It ain't good,' said Cam. "'We never should have let him come, but he was that sure he could—' His voice trailed off into silence. Lindy knelt and brought her lips close to Red Ian's ear. "'Ian, can you hear me?' "'I tried that,' said Cam. "'He don't answer.' She felt for the pulse at his neck. Cam, Damon, and Estrella waited for a long, anxious moment. "'I think he's gone, Lindy,' said Cam. As he continued to press on the improvised pad, Cam looked up at Estrella and shook his head a second time. Lindy rocked back on her heels. Tears, tears spilled from her blue eyes and ran down her cheeks, but she did not take her hand away from Red Ian's throat. 
begging your pardon, master. Estrella looked over Lindy's shoulder and saw Pegine and Kaus, the sailcloth and rope of their sad task, already in their hands. The big fellow were a right good un, said Pegine. If that rat Milfred weren't dead, I'd curse him to his face. Kaus lowered one shoulder and twisted his upper body so that Estrella saw his face for the first time. It was curiously childlike and pale, unlike the age and weather-beaten back of his neck and hands. "'We'll do him right for you, master,' he said, distinctly pronouncing the last word. Estrella's heart sank at the thought of taking Red Ian's body back to the village. Cam stood with his head bowed. He sniffed and scowled to mask his emotions. "'Thank you, Kaus.' Pegine, said Estrella, we'll be returning Ian's body to the village for burial on shore. Understood, said Kaus. We'll stitch him up so that they can see his face. Wait, Lindy shouted. I've found a pulse. Keep that pad firm, lad, said Pegine. Kaus, me kit. Right now, last, give me room to work. Lindy, Cam, Pegine, and Kaus bent over Red Ian while Estrella counted his own heartbeats, willing the big sailor to live. Five, ten, twenty beats passed, during which he heard Pegine muttering to herself as she bandaged, waved something pungent under Redian's nose, and finally slapped his cheeks. He groaned. Pegine raised her head and spoke to Cam. "'He's off the pressure, young fellow. Let's see if he'll hold.' Their positions changed, and Estrella could see Red Ian's red-bearded face. His eyelids flickered and then opened. "'Did you get him, Strayer?' The big sailor's voice was little more than a whisper. "'Mufrid's dead, Ian,' said Estrella. "'Good going.' "'Just take it easy, Ian,' said Lindy. "'Never worry, lass. I'll be right fine.' "'Save your breath, big feller,' said Pegine. Estrella looked around and saw Damon picking up his knife from where he had thrown it at Mufrid. He returned to staring down at the bodies of Arneb and Mufrid, who were lying only a couple of paces apart. Damon carefully took the knife from Arneb's outstretched dead hand. Arneb, I promise you I'll never throw this away. He looked down on Mufrid's contorted body, picked up the long knife that had wounded Red Ian, and with a quick snap of his wrist, threw it overboard. And may all the bad luck sink with it, he added. Estrella heard the drumming of running feet on the quarter-deck behind him. Half a dozen young men charged past him to where Mufred lay. Ignoring Damon, they seized hold of the body by the feet and hands, swung it back and forth, threw it over the side into the sea, and then stood together with their backs to the rail as Mirak and Betel advanced on them purposefully, a handful of old sailors behind them. Belay that, Estrella shouted. Everyone stay where you are. They have no business on the quarter-deck, said Mirak. That ain't right, said Betel at the same moment. Behind him, Estrella heard Pegine and Cam's voices. What them boys did's gonna save me a whole lot of trouble, said Pegine. Seems like a good idea to me, too, Cam agreed. Tell me, Sonny, are there any sharks around here? Pegine asked. "'For certain sure,' said Cam. "'Good,' 
said Pegine. Estrella walked towards the men at the stern rail. He recognised none of them. They were all roughly his own age, all fair-haired and blue-eyed. They hung back nervously, except for the tallest, who stood a little in front of the others, looking both apprehensive and defiant. Why? Estrella demanded. Ditching Mufrid's body was my idea, said the self-appointed spokesman. He killed my father, said one. Mine, too, said another. And he sixed two of us, said a third. Why? Estrella demanded. What possible reason? One of us had been on the quarter-deck without his permission, and the other didn't salute him. He did this in front of the crew. They all just let it happen. Estrella heard Mirak's meaningful cough behind him. And who do you mean by us? Estrella asked, deliberately ignoring Mirak. They're the last of the lubbers Mufrid recruited, about twelve years ago, said Betel. Who are you? Where are you from? Estrella asked the eldest. We're a long way from home. We were... They're the boys who were snatched, exclaimed Lindy. They ain't supposed to come aft ever, said Mirak. Mufrid kept them locked up, except when we were on watch, and that only for duties ahead of the foremast. They're the ones Adramin freed during the fight. There was a lot going on at the time, said Estrella, wondering what else had not been noticed. Indeed there was, Master, Mirak agreed smoothly, and since, too, when Mufrid took command of Cygnus, the first thing he did on our way north was to deep-six two of the boys, and a couple of the men as well, called them mutineers, same as he did Adramin. I didn't know who had drifted over to find out what was happening. That's right. Navigator Dabby didn't, said Betel. Mufrid didn't let him go anywhere but the forbidden room, his cabin, and the quarter-deck where the crew never comes, and he's never been on deck for the... for the... Sixing. The punishment for crew coming aft without an express order is... Mirak began. They're not to blame, said the tallest young man, his face resolute. I'm eldest. I made them do it. What is your name? Estrella asked. Andrew. Andrew, are you Eileen's son? Lindy exclaimed. The young man looked at her curiously, as if trying to recall a memory. Your, your Grace's daughter, he began cautiously. Lindy nodded eagerly, but Mirak stepped forward, claiming Estrella's attention. Mofred would have Betel interrupted. A month's extra duty is what Oron gave unauthorized crew who... The punishment, said Estrella, ignoring both of them is that the six of you will clean the quarter-deck spotless, and when you are done you may join the rest of the crew. There was silence while everyone took in what Estrella had said. Betel nodded. Mirak's mouth opened as if to speak, but he closed it and frowned. Andrew saluted, and the others copied him. Leaving them to their tasks, Estrella looked back to where Dabby had returned to sit at the top set of the companionway, his head in his hands. Becky was next to him, murmuring words only he could hear. Apart from a few men putting the waist of the ship to rights, Estrella saw that many of the ship's company had not moved, and were still staring at what was happening on the quarter-deck. He thought of Oron's imperious wave that set in motion whatever order he had made, and decided not to imitate it. 
Instead, he stood tall and looked at the crew until he saw some of them stare back. Carry on, he ordered quietly. The crew went to work as if recalled to life. Lindy beside him, Estrella went to the head of the companionway where Dabby still sat. Dabby, Estrella began. Dabby raised his head, his face set in an unhappy grimace that made him look decades older than his years. When we came north, we thought Mufred was dead, said Estrella. We didn't know. I, Becky and I, tried to warn you, said Dabby, but you didn't reply. Reply? Lindy demanded. You nearly blew our heads off. Oron didn't teach you how to send and receive messages, did he? Estrella shook his head. I could have told you about Mufred, said Dabby. You could have stayed safe ashore, and then, and then maybe I wouldn't have killed him. I don't think you did, said Estrella. At least, I'm sure you weren't the only one who, um, hit him. Estrella tossed in the shipstone, and we gave it all we could, said Lindy. But too late, said Estrella. I should have done it before our neb attack. I was slow. Slow? Lindy exclaimed and tossed her head in disbelief. Oron never showed you how to project the power? Dabby asked. He warned me not to, well, not to bear down. First time I tried to direct the shipstone, he said I had blasted. So I learned to coax. Coax? Three days ago you weren't coaxing. I was safe inside the forbidden room, or you'd have knocked me flat. He had a headache for hours afterwards, said Becky. I, we were using the shipstone as, as well as our clasps. Uh, begging your pardon, sir, um, master, uh, we've nearly done, said Andrew. May we have permission to speak with the navigator? Dabby? We, we think he's from home, like us. But when we all got snatched, he was on the dirty duck and then chicken, and when we were, and when we were all aboard elusive, we weren't allowed to. Estrella, do you think? Lindy asked. Estrella tilted his head on one side. It was as if Dabby had removed a mask. An echo of both Gar's and Cat's faces was suddenly so obvious that he felt stupid for not having noticed it before. They looked at each other and spoke at the same moment. Cat's son? Gar's son? Dabby looked at them and frowned. What are you talking about? he asked. I'm Mufred's... Well, that's what I've always thought until he... Anyway, Oron called me his grandson, and I don't remember that is, he always said... Dabby, how old are you? Lindy asked. I'm fifteen. So you were three or four when you came aboard. Which ship was it? Estrella asked. Silver Swan. At least that's the first ship I remember. I grew up with Mirsa. When I was seven, Oron took me aboard Cygnus. He taught me for five years, and then I joined my father. I mean, I joined Mufred aboard Elusive. Well, that explains why us older ones know about you, but you don't remember us, said Andrew. It doesn't change anything, said Dabby, uncomprehendingly. His head drooped, and he repeated himself softly. I killed my father. Dabby, said Estrella, he wasn't your father. We heard him say so, and he wasn't lying. 
Lindy and I know your real father. His name was Gar, Janfar, my uncle. Father or not, I wanted Mufrid dead, said Dabby with sudden spirit. He, he was a murderer many times over. I should have done something a long time ago. Dabby, you did, said Lindy, and it's all right. Listen to what Astraea's telling you. Mufrid wasn't your father. You're part of Astraea's family, but you're not Mufrid's son. Dabby stared back and forth between the pair of them. It's a long story, Dabby, said Lindy, and we still haven't got it all straightened out yet, but we think we know who your mother is. Your father Gar is dead, but if we're right, your mother is very much alive. Dabby stared at them, frowning on the uncomfortable cusp between fear and hope. "'Begging your pardon, master?' Astraea turned to see Merak standing at his shoulder, his eyes lowered. "'How's your head, Merak?' Lindy asked. There was no sympathy in her voice. "'Just fine, thank you, mistress. Bit of a bump from where you hit me, but none the worse for that. When you and the master got ready to blast, I laid low. Better safe than sorry.' "'Merak?' Astraea began, begging your pardon again, master, but this may be half a dozen fish-boats coming out from between the headlands. Heave to and let them come alongside, said Astraea. At your command, master, said Mirak, touching his fist to his throat. That is, if you agree, Dabby. Dabby shrugged. Rig scrambling nets and invite the skippers aboard, said Astraea. Have the men treat them with, with respect. Mirak and Bettel shouted orders, and the flurry of activity claimed Astraea's attention, drawing him away from Lindy and Dabby. Overhead the sails rattled and flapped as the ship came head to wind. Soon the dark sails of the village fleet were on either side of Cygnus. Sailors leaned over the rail, Mirak shouting instructions to village skippers who ignored them. Soon a shock of shiny white hair appeared over the rail, followed by the rest of Silver Dawn. Ten heels, Betel shouted, and the ship echoed like a huge drum. Welcome aboard, Silver Don, said Astraea as he came forward, his hand outstretched. Silver Don hesitated, took his hand, but let it go the moment custom had been satisfied. Astraea saw his eyes rest for an instant on the silver gorget. You in charge here, Astraea? It seems so, Skipper, said Astraea. The previous master, the one we told you about, is no longer with us. To be right clear about it, Silver Don, he's feeding the fishes, said Cam. Silver Don's eyebrows rose as he scanned the quarter-deck. Then his eyes narrowed as he saw young men scrubbing a stain from the deck, and he frowned when he saw Arneb's body laid out by the rail. What's been going on here? he demanded. What's wrong with Ian? Why's he lying on that there stretcher? Red Ian was cut real bad by Mufrid, said Cam, who also murdered Arneb before I could stop him, said Astraea. With the help of Lindy and Dabby and Arneb and Damon too, said Cam. Don't forget Damon, he was a bit late, but he showed willing, spite of all them stones, what he don't relish a bit. Thank you for coming to help, Astraea began. I'm here cause of Redian, not for you, said Silver Don. He said we should fight, and he was good as his word, and now look what it did for him. He came, 
said Cam. He did his best for Strayer and for the village. So what was your part in all this, Cam? Silverdon asked. Me? I got to hold on to Ian till the old lady came and patched him up. Fine lot of good you done, Cam. Jumped ship, came back in time to bring bad luck, will ye? Don't blame Cam for what Mufrid was and did, Skipper Don, said Estrella. He met the white-haired skipper's eyes, angry at the unfair accusation. And uh, this Mufrid, he was your uncle? Estrella nodded. Silverdon looked at him thoughtfully, and spoke in the voice of a man used to authority, speaking to another. "'I'll be leaving now, and taking Ian back to his wife, aboard me boat. "'We don't need no help from you in this here great ship, which you've taken charge of. "'And now I say farewell, in hopes you'll be leaving these waters right soon.' Estrella took a long breath through his nose and let it out again, recognizing the futility of trying to explain to someone whose mind was made up beyond reach of fact or reason. Batel, please to lower Skipper Ian into Skipper Don's boat, said Estrella. At your command, said Batel. Silver Don silently watched as the sailors carried Red Ian's stretcher to the rail and prepared to lower it into his boat, grudgingly approving their care. When Redian moved his head and tried to speak, Silverdon talked him down. "'We got you now, Red. You're going home.' As the stretcher disappeared over the side, he turned to Cam. "'I'm willing to give you passage ashore.' Cam tossed his hair out of his eyes and looked steadily up into Silverdon's face. "'And live the rest of me days being shunned. No bleeding way.' "'Suit yourself.' Me? I don't trust strangers. Never did with his da before him. Looks like I was right. This here one was just using us to murder his way to his first command. Much good it'll do him. Estrella clamped his mouth shut so tightly that his jaw muscles bunched. Unfair as it was, he understood why Silver Don had come to his conclusion, and saw it was one more reason why he could never call the village his home. He stood silent, waiting for the encounter to end. He felt numb, empty of feeling save for a huge sorrow at how Red Ian was returning to his pearl. "'All secure on your boat, skipper,' said Betel. His voice was clipped direct and somewhat disapproving. Silverdon nodded, ignored Estrella, and climbed over the rail without a backward glance. Estrella heard him shouting to the rest of the skippers, and a few moments later the fishing fleet headed back to the village. He turned to Mirak, conscious of Lindy, Cam, and Damon watching him. Betel, we'll have Arneb's boat secured aboard. You'll find the strong points for hoisting easy enough. Seafoam started out as Spindrift's longboat. At your command, said Betel. Navigator Dabby, would you please shape a new course southwards? We'll decide the exact destination shortly. Dabby nodded and headed down the companionway. And now, Mirak, you and I will inspect the ship for damage. At your command, said Mirak, and brought his fist to his throat. The stone Estrella had lit gleamed on his finger. Becky looked at Dabby's back, disappointed that he had not asked her to go with him. Seeing her expression, Lindy joined her. 
Becky, while they're doing their sailor's stuff, could you find me something to wear that isn't covered in blood? As they started for the companionway, Astrea heard their voices alternating in what struck him as a feminine exchange. Slightly surprised, because he'd never heard Lindy in this role, he turned to Mirak. Let us make it so, then, said Astrea. The task took longer than either of them had expected. Officially, it was a damage inspection that focused on broken equipment and fittings. But more importantly, it turned into an opportunity for Astrea to speak with individual members of the crew. It was only after the second or third person had sprung to the salute and addressed him respectfully as Master that Astrea began to understand how much his victory over Mufrid meant to them. At first he thought to depreciate this new respect. Then he recognized that if he was to provide the leadership to which they were accustomed, it was necessary for him to accept their gratitude and their acceptance of his authority that went with it. Determined not to copy the masters they had known and obeyed, without question or consultation, Estrella took every opportunity to invite older sailors to offer their opinions about how long it would take to make repairs, and conferred with them about what would be needed. "'Trouble is, master, elusive always gets first choice,' said one grizzled sailor who was splicing together rope that Estrella could see was past its best. "'That's enough, Shabbik,' said Mirak crisply. "'The master don't need your—' "'Shabbik,' Estrella interrupted. "'You've been aboard since—' Seaborn, master. Then it seems to me your opinion on cordage would be useful. Mirak, we will be sure to take Sabic along when we replenish our supplies ashore. At their next stop, a similar conversation took place with another of the older sailors who was working on a torn sail. By the time they'd gone less than halfway along the starboard side, the word was spreading that some, or at least the elders, would be going ashore in the near future. When they reached the foredeck, traditionally the area for the younger and nimbler men, Estrella noticed Andrew, the leader of the young men from Mattress. He saluted swiftly, but looked at Estrella cautiously. "'Let's have no more of your requests to the master,' Mirak began. "'You haven't heard the end of—' Again Estrella interrupted. "'Andrew, if it can be arranged, would you and the other men from Mattress want to return?' What? And meek up with... with the people I came from? Your mother, in particular, said Estrella. My mother, Andrew repeated. Do you think that's possible? That's the idea. Would, would she... would she know me? And would we... I'm... would I... I think you might want to talk with Cam. He was helping Eileen in the home kitchen only days ago. He's over by the longboats, talking to Bethel. Go speak to him. Blue Eyes looked at Estrella with an expression he understood. Andrew could not believe that what he had hoped for was actually going to happen. He saluted and went astern. As he left, Mirak whispered advice. You let them ashore, and you're not going to see them again. Not all of them, Mirak, that's true. But the seas got into the blood of some of them, and they'll return. Same as you, Mirak. Chances are you'll be back from shore leave, ready to do the job you know best. Shore leave? Oron would never have. All his dislike 
of how Oron had condemned the crews to an endless, pointless wandering suddenly boiled up in Astraea's mind. The feeling swelled to anger as he thought of Mirak's deliberate ambiguity about Mufrid's presence on Cygnus, which had very nearly been disastrous. Estrella took a quick step closer than would have been comfortable when the sailor had been coaching him on seamanship, and held Mirak's eyes. Mirak, you handled what happened today with your usual skill, but then you were ready to side with whoever came out on top, weren't you? Just following orders, master. A hard, cold anger made Estrella more determined than he had ever been before. Merak, you trained me and helped me, but you also deceived me, and today you did it again. Like I said, master, I was just following orders. Irritated by the way Merak took refuge in the stony-faced formula answer, Estrella responded in an even more formal, impersonal voice. Then I trust you will follow mine. Word of the master must be obeyed. Merak nodded, his face impassive. Estrella understood that Mirak's dumb insolence was calculated to irritate, so he contained his anger, and spoke in as unemotional a voice as he could. Then let us complete the damage survey. They resumed the inspection. Estrella continued to interact with the sailors at their work, earning responses that ranged from surprise to hesitant smiles of appreciation. Mirak remained silent and wooden-faced, his disapproval palpable. Cam crossed the quarter-deck to where Damon was standing watching people working, obviously feeling uncomfortable that he did not know how to help them, even if they had asked him. Cam knew that the sailors called Damon a lubber, and that the knowledge rankled because he was privileged to stand on the quarter-deck only because he was Estrella's friend. "'There's a whole lot of weirdness going on,' said Cam, his expression unusually serious. You'd think with Mufred gone they'd all be happy, but they're not. They seem to be keen to do whatever Estrella says, said Damon. You're right about that, but it's like they'd had such a great big dose of good news that they couldn't believe it, and were just waiting for something to go wrong. A thing or a person? Good question. A person, or I miss my guess. I got this feeling that they were stepping real careful around saying the name that they all knew right well. Listen, Cam, could we talk somewhere they aren't all watching? Stern cabins, where I guess Straya will want to meet us. Let's go. He led the way down the companionway. In the gloom of the passageway below, they almost ran into Becky and Lindy. They both were wearing white blouses and ankle-length black skirts. A blush crept up Lindy's neck and pinked her cheeks. The old lady who patched up Ian, and who, frankly, doesn't smell too good, she began. Peg Landborn, ship's gardener, head of the heads, and maker of poteen, Cam inserted, and apparently also the ship's witch, prophet, and general all-purpose soothsayer. She was waiting when we went downstairs. Oh, sorry, below. She... She grabbed my arm and dragged us off to one of the cabins where Estrella's great-aunt kept spare clothes for when she was visiting Cygnus. While Peg rummaged around in a couple of boxes, she informed me that Estrella is the fulfillment of some seagoing prophecy, and that I am extraordinarily lucky to—to, to, well, um, be in his company. 
Lindy felt a blush creep up her neck. "'I heard about the prophecy,' said Cam, "'but that's not the only thing that's on the crew's minds. "'There's a whole lot they're not talking about. "'Come on in here and let me tell you.' "'As he opened the door of the stern cabin, "'they heard a familiar voice. "'And about bleeding time, too,' said Walt, "'who was still tied to a chair with his back to the door. "'Excuse me, Dramin, that's just a way of speaking.' he added as he strained his thick neck to see who was behind him. "'Cam! And you too, Damon! From what little we could hear down here about what was happening on deck, we was afraid you young folks were all dead or captured. Now, if you have a knife about you, Dramin and me would enjoy having our freedom. But go easy on him. He's had a few real bad days.' "'Walt,' Lindy asked, "'shouldn't you be back at Charton, looking after the black sheep?' "'Ha! Lindy, too! Good to see you, lass. Where's Australia?' "'On deck, supervising the clean-up,' said Cam as he cut the cords on Walt's wrists. "'Where's Mufrid?' Damon asked, and stifled a groan as Damon first untied him and then caught him from sliding out of his chair. "'I'm guessing cause you're all alive that he ain't,' said Walt. "'And Arneb, where's he at?' Arneb tried to take Mufrid, but, Damon began, but Lindy interrupted. He gave Astraea the moment he needed to, to blow up Mufrid's head with those horrible green stones, said Damon. Along with some help from the other two, Dabby and Lindy here, said Cam. Dab blasted him as well, Adramin asked in a weak voice. And Arneb stabbed him too, said Damon. There was blood on his knife, so he must have found his mark even though it cost him his life. "'And Damon chucked his knife at Mufrid,' said Cam. "'Too bad it was after Mufrid fell over, but I call that a serious showing of companionship and winning, considering how much Damon hates them stones.' "'Bugger!' Walt exclaimed. "'And I missed the whole thing.' "'How did you get here?' Cam asked. "'Longboat,' said Walt. "'We followed the shipstones. "'And a bit too close, as it turned out.' Let me guess. You're all wondering how we're here in the nick of time. You mean after the nick, when all the heavy lifting were over, said Cam. We was here ahead of you, said Walt, as he rubbed sensation back into his hands. Nice work, then, getting yourselves tied up so that all you could do was wait for us to save you from Mufrid, counted Cam. As I was saying, said Walt, without changing his tone, Dramin and me came up this way in Elusive's longboat on account of because we was worried that you people might not be up to what needed to be done. As it turned out, you were on top of it all the way, and Dramin here didn't have to follow his plan of ending Mufrid's nasty life at the price of his own. I, I'd have taken him, said Adramin. No, you wouldn't, said Walt. Your idea was just a hair more stupid than mine. I was going to dazzle him with me silver tongue and convince him he needed Strayer alive. "'What happened to Adramin's hand, Walt?' Lindy demanded. "'And what possessed you to sail here in an open boat?' "'Mufrid cut his finger off,' said Walt. "'And then he took his ring. Nice, eh? "'Still, it's not as if they were kin. "'Before he cut him, Mufrid told Dramin he was kidnapped when he was a little "'cause he had black hair.' 
Seems Mufrid wasn't all that keen to try and have another son of his own after he saw how I turned out. That explains why Dammy, Lindy began, but stopped when she saw that Adraman was about to speak. We had to try to stop him murdering another village. Somehow, when I thought he was my father, I didn't feel the need to do anything. But when I found out he wasn't, then I had to. Walt nodded judiciously. The interesting thing is, so long as I didn't know he was my da, I didn't seem to care. And when I knew, I did. Strange, ain't it? So the two of you sailed north, only one of you with two hands, and the other on the edge of collapse, said Lindy. I am continually surrounded by men who take the most ridiculous chances. Unlike you, said Cam, what jumped aboard the longboat to go with Strayer and Arneb, not to mention your old friend Mirak, that was... Lindy began. Adraman struggled to his feet, tried to take his usual casual stance, and would have fallen over if she had not steadied him in time. He spoke with little more than a whisper. What Walt said to me in the longboat the night before last was, I have to stop him from sixing Estrella, and if Mufrid doesn't listen, I'll do a better job of throwing him into the sea so that this time he won't come back up. That's uh, Mufrid, I meant, said Walt, not Estrella. Especially not Estrella, said Hadrimin. Without him we're all... His voice trailed off, and he clutched at the table trying to ignore Lindy's hand on his elbow. I'm no expert on how to run this great ship, said Cam, but it seems to me that someone ought to tell Dramin to sit down before he falls over. Now listen, there's stuff I've got to tell you about who I think has been making life difficult for Strayer, and you, Dramin, are all mixed up in it. Estrella's anger resurfaced when he looked at Mirak's wooden-faced disapproval. They had completed the inspection of the ship and were standing at the line that marked the beginning of the quarter-deck. Estrella contained his anger and put energy into speaking clearly and distinctly. His words seemed to say themselves. I'm glad you appreciate the importance of obeying orders, Mirak, but there's one more thing. I don't plan to deep-six anyone, now or in the future. But if you deceive me again... I'll make you the exception. Have you taken that aboard? They stood looking at each other for several heartbeats. Understood. Estrella looked steadily into his eyes, but it was like looking into a mask. Mirak's expression remained impassive. Navigator Dabby is probably still in the forbidden room where I will join him. Will you please have someone find our guests and ask them to meet me in the stern cabin? At your... Command, said Mirak, with just enough of a pause to make his reply disrespectful. Estrella turned his back on Mirak and strode towards the companionway, feeling frustrated. He had exposed Mirak's duplicity, but since he had no intention of executing even him, he had made a hollow threat. Far from stopping Mirak from deceiving him again, he had made an enemy, one he could neither control nor avoid. As he passed the door of the stern cabin, he thought he heard Damon say his name, and then Cam chiming in with him, 
but their voices mingled into meaningless noise. For an instant, Estrella thought he would join them, but annoyance at himself made the decision for him, and he hurried down the dim passage to work with Dabby in the forbidden room. A few quick steps, and he placed his hand on the smooth metal of the door as he had done hundreds of times before. Something thin and flexible cut into the sides of his neck, constricting his breathing. Only his dolphin gorget protected his windpipe. He clawed two fingers of each hand under the cord, but could not reduce the increasing pressure. His eyes went out of focus, and he looked into a pulsing red cloud. In a last desperate attempt, he bent both his knees, tucked and pulled downwards. He heard his assailant's head hit the forbidden room door. The terrible pressure on his throat eased, but he was still not free. Don't try that again. I want you alive when I six you. Merak. Estrella's lips moved, but no sound came out of them. Merak allowed a trickle of air to rasp down Estrella's throat. He continued to whisper as he propelled Estrella along the passage. You and Dramin have got to go, and it's going to look like your lubber friends did it. Then I'll six them, and the whole ship's company will see them off, just like me and Oron used to do it. But for you, it's a private ceremony, same as it was for the boys. First, you get to watch me do Dramin. Then you're next, the last of the accursed wandering family. Except for Dabby. I can control him. Despite his promise to keep him alive until later, Merak tightened his grip, and Estrella felt his struggles growing weaker. The red cloud in his eyes was a fading sunset, deepening into night. Bright points of light flared in the darkness. In his last lucid moment, Estrella knew that Merak would have to let go with one hand to open the cabin door. There should be an instant now. Estrella shouted soundlessly and tried to twist away. Oh, no, you don't, Mirak muttered as he stepped backwards into the cabin, both hands tightening the cord around Estrella's throat. Estrella made a mighty effort to escape, but his body was far too far away, and he was slipping into the dark. His ears were filled with a roaring and a banging, mingled with a confusion of shouts from Cam, Walt, and Damon. Too late! Estrella thought. They're too late. He fell headlong into the space between the stars. You have been listening to the Estrella Trilogy, written and read by Seymour Hamilton. All three books are available in electronic and paper formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Chapters. Visit EstrellaTrilogy.com for more about Estrella's world. This audio version is licensed under the United States Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0.